this week on Deep Night. It's okay, four years. Dale, are you sure you've even ever been a, officially a part of the fest? It sounds. I'm not sure. <laughs> now, now I'm not sure. I had to make my own badge. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Oh, friends, hello, it's me, Dale Seaver, your host, your spiritual GPS device, and your adventurous quest partner through this, the deep night. We come to you as we always do from the foul banks of the Gowanus. We join you now at this 4 a.m. hour of regrets and revelations. This is the time of night when anything can happen. Our chakras are recharging along with our phone batteries, and we can be truly free with our thoughts and our bodies. If you're wondering if I am wearing pants, I am not. I am wearing a crocheted thong, given to me by one of Galinda's meditation students, Judy. Judy is a formidable woman who spent some time as a captain of an airboat in the Florida Everglades. Over a matcha muffin and a mushroom coffee, Judy told me all about her life in Cape Coral, her afternoons spent picking up sand dollars on Captiva Island, and the time she spotted and caught an albino alligator which she raised as a pet for a number of years until her condo board finally called Wildlife and Animal Control. You can only keep a reptile in a bathtub for so long before it becomes a problem. Anyway, she told me at length about her days on the airboat. Those mighty machines with the big fan at the back. She'd pilot tourists and the occasional big game hunter through the park. Everyone has a price, she said, and often she'd get so sweaty that she'd remove her jean shorts. Well, you can imagine not all of her clients were okay with that, so she went about fashioning her own low-temperature undergarments that she learned how to make from an old National Geographic about lost tribes of the Amazon. She tells me that once I go thong, I'll never go back. So far, I'm just uncomfortable. And so is my wife. It's hemp, though, so I guess we could smoke it if things really go south. Now, I've been fighting a cold, ladies and gentlemen. It's not been easy. I have not been getting the proper amount of sleep, and I am full of all manner of strange herbs that Galinda picked up for me from our local herbalist. Nancy Meadows is the woman who runs the place along with her daughter, Ennifer, and Ennifer's on-again, off-again boyfriend, Combe. I say if you meet a man named Combe, you hold on to him. But Ennifer and he have lots of fights about money, and I'd personally rather stay out of it. But sometimes you get too involved with a local merchant. I want to support small businesses, but sometimes you ask one question and then you're suddenly in a back room shouting pleasantries over a too loud episode of Ellen and trying to encourage two young people that money isn't everything, even though you know darn well that Combe would be perfectly fine without Ennifer. But Ennifer needs to get real about her expenses and the difference between wants and needs. Oh, young people, I want to tell you that it gets better, but it doesn't. It just doesn't. Everything's awful and it stays that way, and then you die. And then your soul is sucked into a cosmic vacuum to live again in some awful new way, maybe as a pug with a terrible breathing problem. But a solid online media presence. Or a slug. A slug who dreams, which is the worst kind of slug, because those dreams will never come true. Friends, talking to Joel Kim Booster was a dream. A good one at that. We start off with a little nasty business, but I promise it moves into better conversational topics as we go along. And isn't that what it's all about, cleansing our souls and selves as we move through space and time? I would stress that we get a little inside baseball on this one today, specifically how one builds a comedy career. Joel was involved in theater in Chicago, then moved to New York to pursue the comedy life, and in a short amount of time he has established himself as one of the most endearing and original voices on the scene today. We talk about the ways in which comedians get into festivals, uh, the way they do the work on the road, what it's like to be on national television programs, and how one turns personal experience into the premise of a new TV show. If you get the chance, go see Joe Kim Booster live in New York City if you can, or watch him. He's on the rise. Let's go now even further into the deep night for my conversation with Joel Kim Booster. Oh, Joel Kim Booster. Hello. Hello. How are you, Joel? I'm doing great, Dale. Good. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world, but I'm glad that you're doing great. Yeah. 
It's really nice to see you. It's been some time. I feel like there's a little too much distance between us. I realize as I set up these chairs now, we're kind of awkwardly sitting here, but such is the way sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you were on the show some years ago. Yeah, I'd say about two years, actually, probably. Almost been two? exactly, yeah. Yeah, and uh, that was for the pod festival. Yes. Uh, things uh, got cut short, in my opinion, and so I'm happy that you could come yeah, back. I'm glad that we, uh, we, we get a chance a, to connect full, again. Yeah. Yes, session. and I want to know what's been happening in those last couple of years. Too much. <laughs> Too Good. much. You you have been busy. Yeah. And you look great, by the way. Oh, thank you so much. Really? Good-looking fella. I feel great right now. If you want some real gross TMI, Dale. Okay. Uh, right off the bat? <laughs> yeah, right off the bat. I'm so sorry to your listeners, but I just have to share. I just had yep. some great news. Um I've had diarrhea for nine days. <laughs> oh my! And I just—it just stopped. The, just now, like literally before I came in here, I was like, "Oh, here we go again." And then I don't know if you've ever like wanted to cry tears of joy because you've formed a solid stool, but uh, mm, yeah, you'll sure. never know joy like <laughs> nine days of diarrhea and then finally it just ceasing. It's my amazing. God, what, what brought that on? Some kind of uh, were you traveling? I don't know. No, I was traveling. Um, I thought maybe. This I can't believe we're getting into it. Um, no, I thought it was like maybe I was on antibiotics for a minute, oh, sure. and that usually does it, but not nine days. Yeah, I think what actually happened is I ate some rare lamb at oh. a restaurant. Oh, yes. and maybe caught a little stomach bug. But yeah. I don't know. My apartment right now is just a disaster because my <laughs> one roommate has strep. I had the stomach flu, and this, uh, my other roommate has bronchitis. So oh. it was truly. Um, a t- terrible place to live right now. My, well, you got to hose that down or yeah. tent it and then d- do some yeah. kind of gas in there. Burn the whole place yeah. to the ground. Yeah, I would move. I think it's time to move. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, that sounds awful. Yeah. And I'm glad that you're healed up. Sometimes all it takes is a good podcast appearance. <laughs> <laughs> Seal things up. <laughs> Gosh, that is difficult when that happens. So, in this time of year, sometimes that's what happens. Every that stomach flu, things go around. Uh, I'm recovering from a little tickle in the back of the throat, wow. so uh, if I cough, I apologize. But I'm glad that you've made it, and look, listen, whatever that was, it's put you in good shape. It's put me in great shape. Like I say I'm always weight. a good stomach flu away from my ideal weight. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if anyone is still listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure the hardy are, because you have many fans out there. Oh. And we were just saying, uh, in, in happier news, you were out in uh, San Francisco for Sketchfest. Yes, yes. And Love I was too. Isn't it marvelous? It really is. It, it's like, I think my favorite city, I think it's like a combination of everything I like about New York, Chicago, and L.A., just yes. sort of thrown into one teeny tiny city. And I got to tell you, if it were cheaper or mi- <laughs> to live there, I probably would be there a lot more. I know. Some other people have the same idea. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, the air smells so good there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the rest of it, sometimes you're like, well, you could use a broom. You know, you could sweep up a little bit here and take care of some things, maybe put in a homeless shelter instead of another pour-over coffee you place. You know, can I, I don't, this is a funny story that I heard. Uh, so Tracy Chapman lives in San Francisco. Yes, yeah. Um, famously of Fast Cars fame. One of my one favorites. Reason. Yeah, yeah, love, love her. Um, she bought like an old firehouse um, and turned it into her house house. Yeah. Um, with all of her fast cars money and is in has been in like a prolonged battle with the city because there is like a homeless person squatting like in her backyard or or something i'm not, that detail is a little fuzzy for me but somewhere on the property somewhere on the property and she's furious and is like desperately trying to get the city to like remove this homeless person and it's just and like I, I get it i who i understand where she's coming from but i also think it's funny that you think of tracy chapman again of fast cars fame yes and you'd think that she'd be a little bit more empathetic to the plight of a homeless person y- but no yes she, it seems like she would she uh, is almost have some kind of camp out there yeah she, and, no. and bring people in exactly a, a generous you'd think, heart you, yeah you'd think but no it's she's She's saying fast cars, and that's it. That was as much as she. That was as far as she was willing to go. And now she's like, "Get out of here." Um, so it's sad. That's a sad San Francisco. It is. It's it sad. It's sad. We wish. We wish better for our celebrities, yes. don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. Uh, when it comes to you know actually dealing with things on your property, yeah. sometimes. You- Listen, she wrote a great song about poverty and. You know, maybe that's as much as she can give us. <laughs> she's she's reached her limit. Yeah. 
<laughs> of compassion. But uh, uh, you had a good time out there. You did a couple of shows. I had a great. I did seven shows. Watch a lot. Uh, and too many, too many in two days. Where were you at the punchline? At the punchline at. Um, another big club out there i can't remember and i just was doing a bunch of little time lots of afternoon shows too, yeah which yeah. is really where it, you can sort of load them up <laughs> right and um well you know I, can you break this down for me for a second because uh i've talked to comedy bookers about this and mm -hmm. i've talked to other people about it but maybe uh, not too many comedians about the actual uh kind of nuts and bolts of mm -hmm. it and i like a nuts and bolts mm -hmm. perspective because mm -hmm. i like thinking about how all the little pieces form together and make things but uh, how did your participation in that festival come about do you do, is it something that people reach out to you so, and say would you like you to come out yeah so i the the first thing that brought me out there was the sketch fest dozen which is they chose like 12 of us to do two half hour shows mm -hmm. um which is very cool and a, and a big honor and i was really excited to do it and so they said you know you can come out for this for that day and we'll try and get you shows on on other side on you know either side and i don't know if exactly how sketch fest works but i know other comedy festivals work this way and i imagine it's somewhat similar um but you know they ask other shows like joe and uh, joe firestone and aparna nonchala had a show out there called womanhood live and when you bring a show like that to a festival generally speaking what the the festival will do is say here's a list of everyone else who's going to be at this festival he, do you who do you want to ask to be on the show at least i know that's how festivals like bridge bridgetown work yeah um and so i imagine it must be something similar to that i i don't think they would assign people to the shows necessarily but um yeah i don't know yeah, it's a mystery because I've been out there uh, four times, and every single time uh, I've been left on my own to figure out <laughs> who else is going to be there. Oh, wait, really? Yeah. Yeah, so maybe I have it completely wrong. So I, I ask uh, uh, Cole, who runs the thing uh, uh, with Jenna and David, I say, who, who, who do you think is going to be out there from New York? Well, it's too early to know. So then I have to wait until they announce it, and then everybody's already booked, and then it's a thing. We always have a good time. Yeah. And I love the festival, but it, it doesn't exactly work for me that way. Wow. Maybe for some of the I, bigger names. Me, I didn't, I don't know. I That's surprising to me, but It that could just seems, be me. Honestly, it could be. Yeah, maybe it's just you. <laughs> I, I, thought, I have to say, too, for as big of a festival as it is, it's incredibly well run, which... It's one of the best yeah, ones, very in my organized. opinion. Yeah. I did have... Um, I had a the, my first group of Trump supporters of the year walk out storm out of a show in San Francisco had, in San Francisco of all places they were the only which ones there I know and I was like good luck finding a comedy club in San Francisco where this is not going to be where you're not going to hear people shitting on Trump like <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're in for a long trek a long journey trying to find that comedy club I have to imagine they were from out of town and they were like doing touristy things because I yeah. just can't like how would you they came exist in, from, in that uh, city. Yeah, they came in from out of town. I think Sacramento. San Francisco. San Francisco like voted like eighty eight percent for Hillary, and then like another ten percent for like Jill Stein, and then yeah. like two percent for Trump or something. Yeah, you outrageous. know, there's always some people that have a kind of righteous contrarianness to yeah, them. In, uh, in I guess in that place. And what, what what I think I forgot about San Francisco too is that um, it is the hub of like every major tech startup. So. Yeah. There's lots of rich people out there, and sometimes you get so rich that it really supersedes everything. <laughs> that's right, and that's our goal, isn't it? Yeah, that is <laughs> the goal. Well, were you at the hotel? The, the, the Sketch I was Fest at, hotel. I was at Club Quarters. Oh, um, well. which is a very nice hotel. I just had the misfortune of being placed in this weird corner where I like I I got to my hotel, and I'm always I'm like always so thankful that places like people like San Francisco. Sketchfest will put me up in a hotel and I don't have to pay for it. Like, that's a luxury that I still, you know, am, am super thankful for. But I walked in this room and I was like so excited. I like threw up in the curtains and revealed a brick wall. <laughs> um, so that was that. And then I was on opposite sides of, or I was in, right in the middle of two couples that were both like f just fighting the whole time oh. I was there. And I could just hear it so distinctly. It was insane. It was like as though they were like, just like in the bathroom of my hotel room, just like yelling at each other is insane. Comedians? No, I actually don't think they were. I <laughs> think they were just 
regular civvies. people having a, a sad vacation. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Let's back up, though. They paid for your hotel room. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. That's you, okay. I, I think they only do it for the, the <clears throat> Sketchfest does it. Mm-hmm. I don't think they do it for everybody else. Yeah, it must not be oh, extended to everybody. It's oh, okay. Four years. Dale, are you sure you've even ever been a, officially a part of the fest? <laughs> it sounds... <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> now, now I'm not sure. I had to make my own badge. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. My show was also scheduled during the marches out there, the women's march. Oh, really? We still had a good time of it. Uh, Some people showed up, and it was kind of right between the rally and the march, but it was right there in the heart of it as uh, all the women with the pink hats and, well, not just women, all all kinds of people were marching. And it made me very proud to... Mm -hmm. um, be doing a podcast during that. Yeah. <laughs> no, that all that activity was happening. Uh, uh, yeah, I was, was at the one here in New York. It how was, was it? It was great. It was um, it was it was really um, just like there's such an, a really great supportive vibe of, of togetherness and things like that. Like, I think there is a lot of of legitimate infighting within the the left on the left you know we could sort of fight with each other about sure. different sort of minutia but and that's all fine and I, you know I do that and I think that's good and I think it's it's largely very respectful and sort of moving to- towards a better good or whatever but I on the march it really did feel like you know what I don't care why you're against Trump or like how you're here but we're all here and we we all have sort of one singular goal in mind and and, it, and that and that was really great to sort of like feel together. And it was it was weird because it is New York City and it's a march of you know hundreds of thousands of people. And we I kept constantly running into people I knew. Yeah. <laughs> in the yeah. middle of the march, which was like so funny, sort of an only in New York moment. And had some fun making up chants, you know. Yes. I was actually really surprised, and I I mentioned this to my friends, and they were like, "Oh, of course not, because it's New York." But I was surprised there weren't more like counter protests or. Or people like tr- you know um, who were like pro-Trump, sort of along the way. I didn't see any of that, and they were like, "Oh, it's you know New York. Of course, you wouldn't see that." But I don't know. Every year at the Pride Parade, those loonies come out and yeah. counter-protest the Pride Parade, and I'm like, "Where were they?" <laughs> like, I feel like there might even be some embarrassment on the part of the Trump maybe, supporters. Maybe, yeah. Although he did win more evangelical voters than either Bush. Um, so <laughs> it's just uh, as if Pandora's opened the box. Yeah, it really it's just is. horrible thing after horrible thing every week. It's an assault. And, uh, you know, listen, that's, I think, well, where, yeah. where I come down on this is pretty clear. And I appreciate that you're one of these people that are out there as a comedian, uh, uh melding your political life with your personal yeah. and your uh, professional life in a very, um, outspoken and, um, still funny, yeah. but uh, a really pointed way. I don't know if I've been particularly all that funny with this election. <laughs> like I, I'm noticing that it's hard. It's hard to be on social media, and like social media has always been a place where I've gone and just like posted silly things. And I, it's hard because I feel like my brain is so focused on what is going on in the world, and like you know every little thing that he does, who he's firing today, what executive orders he's signing. And it's hard to, like, post about, you know, make a joke about my ex-boyfriend getting engaged, you know, which is, like, sort of my bread and butter. But it's <laughs> it's hard. And I had I took a break from Facebook and, and Twitter for, like, three days last week because I just needed to, like, uh, be away from it. Sure. It was just so overwhelming. And I came back and... It, just yesterday i like felt like i wrote a joke this is so weird that i wrote a joke on twitter where i was like okay i'm back like i'm like <laughs> i feel like right. i feel co- like okay to do that and like still i have not yet i don't think written a joke that is about like donald trump or w- the horrors that's going on in our country right now that's also that's been funny like it's it's either like completely my, the jokes that i'm writing are either completely separated from reality right now yeah or i like write a very serious long facebook post about why betsy devos cannot be <laughs> uh confirmed as the secretary of education so i apologize to everybody <laughs> <laughs> but it is difficult it is hard to yeah. even in a Twitter thing you think, well, I'd like to promote this funny podcast yeah. or this show that I'm doing, and it's just us having some fun. But also the rest of the feed is like the alternative uh, National right. Park Service <laughs> trying well, to get climate facts out. And you it, think, well, that is more important. I do have I do struggle too because uh, I think 
it's easier for me to come down on one side when it's like a singular issue when it's like the horror of Donald Trump and his entire administration it's one thing but I do see a lot of people like for instance I think like after the Orlando shooting happened I saw this a lot where people were like why aren't you posting about Orlando like how like why are you being silent on social media about it and I I really don't I'm really conflicted about that kind of stuff because I do think that I mean Facebook has been around for roughly like 10 to 12 years or something Mm -hmm. like that which is relatively new it's still relatively new i mean it feels like it's been a part of our lives for too long um but i just think that we all use it differently and we all like for me it is like an all-encompassing like everything i think and feel goes out on social media and so i am very comfortable posting you know promotions of shows and jokes and you know heartfelt sort of tributes to the people that were lost in Orlando, you know, whatever. Um, I think that's for, so for me, that's like a very obvious choice to make to like post about it, but I don't think that's everybody's choice. And I think that like, just because someone's not posting about something on Facebook doesn't mean they're not thinking about it. They're not feeling about it. They're not, you know, active, you know, it's just like certain people see social media different ways. And I get really annoyed when I see people shaming, like if you're silent today, like we see you and it's like, you don't know what that person is doing, you know, outside of this weird social media bubble that we've all found ourselves in, like leave them alone, let them like live their social media life, you know, and, and it's the real actions. Like who are they giving? Like if they, if you know that they're, you know, actively going to a, a, a counter protest or something like that. Like right. that's something to call them out on, I guess. But just like, I don't know. It's such a, it's such a weird thing to like, want to be mad at people for not posting what you want them to post on, on Facebook. Because that's not the only means of expression. Exactly. And yeah. we had a whole other thing before that. Ex- yeah. Well, how <laughs> did people express their outrage before Facebook? Right. I really don't know. <laughs> well, you see it. People <laughs> going out into the streets, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think one of the people that cited you, I had uh, Mo Fry Pasek on oh, on the wow. show, and she said, well, Joel Kim Booster is a model of somebody who lives uh, kind of out loud, you know, and lives their, their truth and posts their truth and at least uh, uh, publicly yeah. presents that. I mean, I just ta- I, I started the show of talking about diarrhea, yeah, yeah, so, right. so there's like... really, I have no barriers <laughs> about anything in my life, really. Well, we're talking about that uh, recently there was a controversy, and maybe uh, um, you don't... I don't know if you have an opinion on it or not, but I, there was a. I bet I do. <laughs> I bet I do, baby. A comedian spoke out about Trump. Okay. On SNL, a writer, right, Katie Rich. Uh, she made a joke about Barron or something, and uh, then apologized. But then SNL said you're fired or something. Right? She's she's on on leave. leave. Yeah, like indefinitely. I don't know exactly what that means, but I mean that's that's kind of place that we're living. We're talking about yeah. living out loud or being able to express yourself yeah. or put out jokes uh, that may or may not, you know fall within the bounds right. of good taste but still he, there's so freedom of here's speech here's the thing i haven't seen the katie rich tweet yet i have a feeling it's not uh, i tend to f- to fall on the sides of of like uh, it's a joke whatever and i'm sure i'm not exactly sure from what i understand most people that i i know interest and i should look at it here's the thing that day that that tweet broke and there was all the controversy about it that was what drove me from social media like Uh. truly drove me from social media because i was like i just can't i just can't do this i can't be fighting about things like this right now i can't be like folk focused on things like this it was just like truly so and then like between i literally flipped from twitter where that was going on and i was like oh i just like this man has tweeted like terrible terrible things and and suddenly it's this snl writer that everyone's focused on it's just so so it was so insane to me and then i flipped back to facebook and there was a lot of hand wringing about like but can we punch nazis like is that okay (laughs) like can we laugh at someone who punches nazis and like getting into these like really in-depth uh like philosophical discussions of like is it okay that a notch to laugh at a nazi getting punched and i was like i can't do this right now yeah i just need a break um what is the world that we're yeah living what in? is the world but um yeah i'm lucky that i have not ever gotten in trouble from that i mean i guess i'm not in a position where anyone would care and that i think is the real blessing of my situation right now is that I am just on this weird cusp of where comedy is my full-time job right now, and I am able to make money off of doing comedy, but 
no one knows who I am or cares who I am. <laughs> so it is like very, I can say whatever the hell I want, baby. <laughs> and uh, it really won't lose me any jobs quite yet. So I haven't really had to think about it. Yeah, well, that had a little extra juice because of SNL. Right. Yeah, so that's you, the you, thing is like I don't have a job like that. Yeah, it's so. already set up as something that he doesn't like. Right. So regardless of their role in advancing him. Well, and th- this I think... The problem is, is had it been just people on the right who were mad at her for making fun of the president's son, it might have been one thing. But I think she stepped in it because there are a lot of people who were like, leave the kids out of it, you know, and that's some that's voices that are coming from our side. Yeah, mostly. And I think like very genuinely, there are people who are sort of like, you can't make fun of a kid um, in any circumstance. And there are people on the right who are who are mad about it. But I think only mad about it because it's barren and not you know meanwhile we've been calling sasha and malia all sorts of names yes. for the last eight years but you know there was no outrage on that side and so i do think there is this like weird pissing contest constantly between the left and the right of like we're never really talking about an issue it's like um oh paul ryan's doing this and we're mad and there and then the right's always like well you weren't mad when nancy pelosi was doing this which <laughs> is similar and it's like and then we get into this weird like pissing contest and it's like oh but like uh, I'm trying to think of of an example. Oh, right. So I got I I was noticing this happening. So they're like, oh, all these liberals are mad about the immigration ban, and it's like Obama banned um, refugees from Iraq for nine months, you know, and back in t- 2011. So why aren't you mad then? And I literally had this conversation where I was like, oh, had I known about that, I would have been mad about. I I would have been protesting that too. What's your point? Like, what wh- yeah. is that? Is this an argument against? Like, well, I'm not exactly sure. What you're, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to make me look like a hypocrite and trying to make me seem like someone who's only mad because Trump's doing it. And it's like, hey, bro, I didn't know about that. I wasn't as plugged in back in 2011. I was living off of ramen in a studio apartment in Chicago. <laughs> like, give me a fucking break. Had I known, had the me- like, I, I just like we, we we lose sight of like arguing the actual issue because we're so busy being like, well, you've done this, too. And it's like, right, well, maybe. But- the fundamental thing is still a problem. Yeah, exactly. I think if liberals especially started being like, yeah, you're right, President Obama... Because, like, listen, I loved President Obama. I think, by and large, history will be very kind to President Obama. Do I love that he deported more illegal immigrants than any other president? No. Do I love that drone strikes uh, you know, yep. were you know up when pres- during President Obama's presidency? Absolutely not. I do not... You know, there are plenty of things to dislike, but I just think... It's just like weird to try and like get in an argument about that when you're not really arguing. I think if liberals just like took a step back and like accepted that more and just like stopped the conversation there instead of trying to rationalize it and being like, well, when President Obama did a a, a ban from refugees in Iraq, it was different because of A, B, and C. And it's right. like, was it though? Like, just just take the shot, and then <laughs> that conversation ends, and you can resume talking about the actual issue at yeah. hand. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I just. That's okay. Chatted away. No, no, no. I appreciate it. That's what we're talking about, <laughs> being outspoken and, 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 and speaking some truth to it. But you said uh, uh, your uh, star power is uh, such that uh, you can kind of fly below the radar. Oh, yeah. Nobody cares. But you're on the rise, aren't you, Joel? <laughs> and um, you've been in demand of late. You were on the Conan show. Yes. And uh, cool. there again, how was your Conan experience? My Con- it was amazing. I mean, I had a lot of stand-ups tell me that Conan is the best place to do your first late night set. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I haven't done a second one yet, so, but, but I, I have to imagine they're right because um, it's just like a super supportive environment. Everyone is just very chill. And, and then Conan himself and Andy Richter especially were just so kind and so like, you know, they wanted you to feel comfortable and, and confident going out there and this, the whole, you know, all the stage managers and, and everybody who's, who's sort of coordinating with you is like, so it, it just wants you to feel comfortable. And they're like, do you want to, ru-? I think the biggest thing, and I got a lot of advice from people who had done Conan before. I'm like, what, sh-, you know, what are the little things that like you would never have thought right. to do? And they're like rehearse walking from behind that curtain to your mark over and over and over again because it feels so unnatural and so long to walk from when they pull that curtain and you have to walk to and hit your mark it feels like an eternity and if you don't if you're not ready for that it's like i can imagine it would be it'd be really weird so that was probably the best piece of advice i got was just like they will tell you that it's fine to rehearse as much as you want and take advantage of that like they mean it so just like rehearse it because um you know it'll feel weird and it is also like 
they prepared me too because the way the the orientation is set up you're facing sort of away from a lot of the audience which uh-huh. you don't realize when you're watching it but you're only facing like a, a small segment of the audience and the other audience is sort of like looking at you from the like side here, yeah. and it's like it's very strange and so being prepared for all that but it's great yeah conan is is super nice he's a gigantic man very um, tall he's very very tall i have i actually have a, like a picture of conan and i from um that night and i have it on my tinder profile and i i have to i had to list my height because it makes me look like i'm about five three um if you don't know if you don't realize how tall he is it's uh it's quite scary um yeah. What he's a monster. He's man. very tall. But you have a lot of interaction with him. I don't have any more interaction with him. I actually talk to Andy Richter like quite frequently. We interact a lot. Um, but I mean, during the taping of the thing, were they uh, present? Oh, I mean, uh, he came back. He came backstage, and he was like, "Hey, I'm Conan. Like, good luck tonight." Um, you know, he's busy. You know, he's, yeah, he's got sort a show of, to do. You know, uh, he really does run that whole ship. Um, and um, but yeah, so he like came back, and then afterwards he was. So this is funny. I. They say not to look at the comments um, ever uh, when these things go up online. Of anything. Of, of, yeah, ever. of anything ever. <laughs> um, but, like, I just can't help myself. I had I have to look. And so when it got put up on YouTube, I went over a little bit on time. And so they cut the beginning and the end of just the introductions, basically. So it really just the, – the video just goes straight into my set and then ends on my last line. And there – there's a lots of terrible whatever YouTube comments on it, and, and that's fine. Like, I'm used to that. I don't really care. But the ones that bothered me were these, like, weird, like, conspiracy theories because there'd be people who would be like, notice Conan doesn't come over and shake his hand at the end like he does with every other comic. And those, there was a couple of those, and that drove me fucking nuts because if you look at the extended clip or watched it on TV, he comes over and shakes my hand, gives me a hug, and he whispers in my ear, and he, it, the mic catches in, and he says, that was so great. That was so great. And I'm like, and I truly, it was the, the one time that I was like tempted to respond and be like, pull it up on your DVR, asshole, because he does absolutely <laughs> shake my hand, and it gives me a hug, too. Um, like, there were people on there calling me, like, a cancer. They're like, this guy, this guy's comedy is cancer on our society and like all this weird stuff and i was like i can laugh that off in a minute because it's just so meaningless and pointless and pathetic but the other ones where they like feel like they like discovered a a, a fucking like they you know like jet fuel can't melt steel beams like (laughs) loose change moment i was like no 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 that's just factually wrong like you can not like my comedy and that's fine but Conan shook my hand. Right. <laughs> well, facts don't matter anymore. No, not anymore. Well, who picks the wardrobe? You look I did. smart. Yeah, plaid. Yeah, like that, our nation. that shirt um, is uh, a, just a, a thrift store find. I, I agonized over what to wear. I I think I watched like a hundred clips of people doing stand up on Conan just to like get a feel of what everyone else was doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a it was a, a real trial for me to figure out what to wear. Yeah. Intelligent for the first time. Well, it looks smart. Plaid Thank shirt, you. Thank jeans. You. Yeah, plaid shirt, and then these, yeah, just like um, sort of gray, just slacks, slacks, sort of thing. Yeah, comedy slacks, comedy slacks. Yeah. Do you hang? Do you retire that outfit now? Hang it up in the closet? Um, no, I don't. I still wear that shirt all the time. I love it. It's my fave. That was June twenty second, two thousand sixteen. Wow, was it? It was. I get. N- um, no, I Somewhere feel like it was there? in. It must have been June. Yeah, I actually I can't remember now, but yeah, that sounds about right. Somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a terrific set. I thought you were great, very fantastic, Thank fearless, you. just to stand and deliver it like that. Wonderful. Um, with Conan, though, he's talking about moving to a weekly, right? Yeah, I saw that. That's uh, kind of detrimental to stand up, isn't it? Maybe I he only has one that would only cut out one stand up a week though maybe he only uh, has one a week he has two a week oh okay um but oh, I, then I, I guess uh but then I guess it probably go that 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 would cut out less because he he's he rotates uh stand ups and music acts so it would probably be you know two stand ups a month and then two music acts a month I yeah. don't know how that would work out <coughs> it's I mean really that's sad I think Conan is maybe the best late night uh show on right now of the of the of the many straight white men who host yeah, shows yes. i think he's the, he's maybe my favorite and yeah well he certainly seemed like he really supports the comedy community yeah and he says he's just doing weirder stuff yeah. i mean not as weird as he used to do but 
Um, I think out of all of them, he's he's sort of the one that is um, the quote unquote purist of the the company. You know, he's not doing like Jimmy Fallon pranks or anything like that. Um, <coughs> Jimmy yeah. Kimmel pranks. I hate the Jimmys. I don't like any of the Jimmys. I think I like s- I like Colbert a lot, and I like um, uh, Conan, but yeah, I'm not so hip on any of the Jameses. I'm I'm with you. Uh, I don't even care for the name. <laughs> Ah. Um, but uh, other than uh, doing a show like that, festivals really are the way to get traction in a comedy. Yeah, career, I mean right? that the Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland is really what I would say if I had to like. And with comedy, it's hard to like point to one thing that really like jet, you know, sort of um, ignited, you know, the the your career. But Bridgetown really was, I think, that for me. Yeah. If if I could point to one thing, if I had to point to one thing, is that experience because that's where um, my manager saw me perform for the first time, and then. You know, I, I met a, a lot of connections and things like that there. And yeah, so I, I'd say that's really the beginning of it. Because you also have the Just for Laughs. Well, and then, yeah, Just for Laughs is like a whole other thing. It, You know, I was I was categorized as a new face this yeah. year. And I, you know, I, I feel like a new face on, and certainly in that level. But it is funny because like most of the people that were in my new faces group were it'd just be a stretch to call them a new face. I mean, Jacqueline Novak and Naomi X. Paragon both had uh, recorded their Comedy Central half hours that year. <laughs> uh, Matt Ingebretson, who is a good friend of mine, uh, sold a show and was in production with Comedy Central, which uh, his, his sh- uh, show Hampton Deville is premiering like this summer um, on Comedy Central. So it's like, it's really hard to, to say <coughs> yeah. that any of us were, were new faces. But um, yeah, I mean, that that festival really is like a huge um, thing. And it's, it's honestly, that's probably how I sold my show to Fox is, is being there. And just like a one very brief interaction I had there is sort of where I ended up. It's all it takes Yeah, over a little poutine or yeah. something. <laughs> well, let's come back to that. Cause I want to talk about it. Uh, and I agree with you on the new faces thing. I think I talked to Louisa Diaz who, uh, uh, talked about that in yeah. fact on, on when we had our conversation that it's really, um, they already know who's going to be a part of it in a sense. Like it's people who are on their radars already, and they're advancing the well. Yeah, I think the, the year it's not a place to be discovered exactly from kind of zero to sixty. Right. But the, like John Early was a new face the year before mine, and it was like John Early had already been on like three television shows. <laughs> like was is is the biggest like gay comedian probably working today and it was like he's not a new face like what a farce what a farce to like bring john early to your festival and call him a new face um it's so silly well you've also been working on uh new york magazine's favorite television show billy on the street yes yes that must have been great fun that that was my very first television writing job and it is um it's it was such a blast it was it was really like um and amazing like because i you know as a as a comedian they they send you these packets to you know basically writing auditions for all the late night shows like all yeah. the jimmies yeah. that we were talking about conan all of them um and i just i am not that kind of joke writer like it's very hard for me to write like a desk piece or write like um so you know paris hilton's in the news and right. blah blah you know like I, it's right. really hard for me to do that like the very like traditional like setup punchline sort of like that kind of joke and then the billy packet came in and it was like oh like this is this is like it's so niche and it's so specific of a voice and it's so weird and uh, it really was something it was like the most fun i've ever had like like auditioning for a writing job um and uh it worked (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that's another way to kind of advance the career too isn't it is to get a writing show like that writing on a show like that and uh, you're done with that now yeah so that that actually um we started the writing process i mean billy eichner is a machine he's a monster i don't know how he does everything he does he um so we started writing about a year ago and that process was like a six to eight week process i only wrote on six of the maybe nine weeks of the of the writer's room um, of that show and then he goes into filming and that filming that show takes about three and a half months over the summer and then it's like another month or so of 
of editing and he's in the room for all of it so wow. he's there with us when we're writing he's obviously he's filming it for three and a half months and then he's in it every single night every single day editing it as well um and then you know press and stuff like that and he was coming off of difficult people he's got a netflix show now and difficult people again so it's like i don't know when he's gonna fit in the time and i think you know i'm speaking out of turn this is all theory it's not nothing is official <laughs> i know nothing i know nothing um but i definitely sent i get the sense that um i'm not sure if the show is gonna if it does come back again it's it's, it would probably be a very different truncated sort of season because i mean he's famous now you know it's like one of those things where it's less fun if everyone you're stopping on the street sort of knows who you are right um and so i i don't know if it'll come back um or not but we'll wait and see i hope it does i mean it's It's not only show it's one of my favorite shows and and to have been able to write for it was real 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 fun and just to get it it's so strange to like see some stupid thing that you wrote <laughs> um like the, the writing well, what w- what we wrote really were like the prizes and the, the obstacle courses and to see things that y- i pitched like a s- an obstacle course called escape margot robbie's moment like <laughs> to actually be like fully realized is so bizarre it's right. like truly insane. and they run through the whole thing yeah they run through yeah. the whole thing it is it's wild it's 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 great fun, and uh, th- that uh, you're drawing on that experience. I imagine, as you said, uh, for your own show that you uh, were developing with Fox. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, wait, which ex- part? Which part of experience? The running through Ra- Margaret <laughs> having moment? a moment. Having no, a moment. I, I meant just writing uh, generally for a television. Yeah, show. I mean, well, this is so um, that b- writing for Billy. And I wrote on the pilot for uh, Moshe Kasher's show on Comedy Central uh, Problematic, which I encourage everybody to watch when it premieres, um, I think, in April. Um, But um, that's, like, so different. Writing jokes versus writing, like, a narrative script is, is, you know, night and day. And I've always wanted to – I've always preferenced writing scripts and writing narrative, you know – um, television over writing jokes because um, I think it's I'm just better at writing fully formed like scripts that's where I'm funniest I think I'm not a good joke writer I'm just not <laughs> like, um, wow. and like even if you if you really look at the jokes um, from you know Conan or any of my stand-up it is really it is much more like um, it works better in context and I think that is like an important like sort of um distinction about my comedy i I have a a real inferiority complex when it comes to stand-up comedy i get really nervous um and i get really like especially getting things like just for laughs which you know some of most i would say most of the people listening probably have no fucking clue what just for laughs is in montreal but in stand-up or in comedy in general it's like the biggest most prestigious thing you can get it's an honor and i always get really like oh like do i deserve this like i always worry about what other stand-ups are saying about me um or because i just feel like not a hack but i just feel like what i do is like not joke writing it's yeah uh it's just so much it comes half the shit i say on stage is just slightly tweaked things that i've said in conversation that i've noticed have made people laugh and i'm like oh i should just say that on stage (laughs) and hopefully it works the same and and occasionally i will write a stronger sort of punchline to it but so I get nervous because I'm like, oh, do I have an understanding of this craft that everybody else does? And it's so silly because like I've been doing this for almost six years now, and it's like, yeah, I'm fine, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you know what I you're doing. I just have to get over it. But I always wonder when I like get things like that. I'm wondering if like what all the other standups are are saying, and if they're like, oh, like I can't believe they got, gave it to him, you know. But that's what everybody's feeling, yeah, don't you I think? To a certain that's extent, probably true. There's yeah. a few people that you get the sense they're past it, right? But uh, by and large, everybody's like, "Oh gosh, what am I doing yeah. here? And how am I going to get through it?" And then you get <laughs> up there and you get a laugh. You're like, "Oh yes, that's right." And then yeah. on to the next thing where you're back into the self doubt. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean the the one thing though in my life since I've started writing that I've never felt self conscious about or worried about is writing scripts i mean yeah. like w- when i was writing plays you know i was always very like not like oh i know this is good but i just felt very comfortable in that medium and just sort of 
I, I never, I, I worry if it's good, but I never feel like an interloper. Like I always, I often feel like an interloper when I, in stand-up comedy. Like I'm always like, especially now that I'm doing these road gigs, like constantly on the road and, and performing at clubs and, and colleges all over the country. I'm, I'm always like, how did I get here? <laughs> how, how is any, like, I just would never in a million years when I started out thought I would have been one, a road comic, like somebody who travels a lot and does a lot of these like you know longer sets to to bigger crowds because it's just or not necessarily bigger crowds let me <laughs> I performed oftentimes i think i performed at a college in seattle uh late last year where there were like 12 kids in a chilies and that oh, would, it well. would me. so um i should not say big crowds but um it is just like strange because i would never have thought that what i do as a stand-up would be would have any sort of mass appeal at all <laughs> well, I still feel that way from, from what I do, that's for sure. And uh, 12 sounds like a full house to yeah. me. Uh, throw in a Chili's, and my gosh, that's a wonderful evening. Um, well, uh, the show that you're developing, too, draws on your own experiences. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're well into the conversation to talk about how you came to yeah. where you are. But uh, it, it talks about you being adopted uh, by an evangelical kind of family mm -hmm. in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. uh, as a baby, basically, yeah. right? Just a couple months old. Uh, and then sort of your process of coming out, uh, dealing with them. Right. So uh, that everything that you just said happens in i would say the first three minutes of the pilot <laughs> that's the opening <laughs> that's, credits yeah that is like the opening <laughs> three minutes of the pilot the coming out the setting up of that that family and then uh you sort of that and that is like uh, that first three minutes is like autobiographical almost yeah. to a t and then the rest of the show has nothing to do with my real life i would say oh really um, it takes yeah. it takes a turn. it really takes a turn i mean i guess in in so much as like my family like my auto like my biography like, certainly it doesn't really have anything to do with that. I mean, my experience as being gay and Asian and an adoptee, like that is, you know, throughout the show sort of weaved in, hopefully. I mean, we haven't written anything else by the pilot yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, but it really has, from there, diverges pretty heavily from my real life. And you said you had a conversation in Montreal that just sparked that oh, so, yeah. casual so, little thing. I guess, like, to back up, the the sort of the genesis of all of this is that uh, I wrote this script as purely a sample um, to get hired to write on other shows. Oh, so, um, so like I, the packets we were talking about yeah, before. To, so, yeah. And it's, I wrote it on spec, which means I just wrote it without being paid and I wrote the full script. And it was a, a lot of it was just because I was, you know, talking to my manager and he was like, you know, we really want to get you staffed on a scripted show. There was a lot of interest from um, Kimmy Schmidt at the time. And they were like, but can he write? And so I needed a script. So I wrote the script and it was truly like... I, I remember having a conversation with my manager where it's like, I can't make this character gay and Asian and adopted. Like, that's just like so much like no one will buy it. And he was like, well, we're never going to sell this script. It's just going to be a sample. So really just like write whatever you think you could write your best script and, and mm -hmm. just tell that story. And I was like, OK. So I just sort of shot for the fences and I, I didn't think about, the you know, would it sell or would anybody want to watch it? Um, and that, it, it did me good. It got me a lot of meetings and it was great. And then, you know, eventually it got in the hands of, um, Lily Burns at Jack's Media, who is, um, who's ended up being the executive producer of my show. And, you know, she's the one who really like discovered the Broad City Girls and right. really like connected them to Amy Poehler and, and sort of, um, has been with that show since the beginning. That was her, her baby. Um, and 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 re recently, Search Party was again like another one of her babies. So she has amazing taste, and she was like, "I want this script. I want to make this script." So we just shot it. We shot like a truncated version of that pilot, and she's like, "Let's try and sell it from here." And we went out to LA and, and sat and did like you know 15 meetings with every network. And <laughs> um, and when I was in Montreal, we had shot it and stuff like that. And uh, I remember I did my first showcase show at Montreal. And we were going to the after party and, you know, uh, the first person who approached me at the after party was this woman, uh, Samita Nara at Fox. Um, and she's the head of comedy at Fox. And she just stopped me very, it was very briefly. She was like, hey, I know you, you know, you want to drink and have fun with your friends right now. But I just want to tell you, I really liked your set and you should have your own show. 
um she's like i want i i want she's like you need to have a show and i was like haha thank you so much goodbye uh <laughs> 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 and just like proceeded to the open bar um and and so when we were bringing stuff to when we were going to um pitch in la this show is an uh definitely conceived as a cable show mm-hmm. um i just didn't think that it would thrive in a way like there's you know um i i cuss a lot and i you know that's something that's in the script and there's sex and there's a lot of different things and we were sort of like yeah let's just take this to strictly cable you know the netflixes and the comedy centrals and and all those places and um i you know i remembered some simina and we uh, we had a, a sit down meeting in la before we started pitching and i was like yeah i really like this woman like she's really cool she like gets it she truly has the most gravitas of any person i have ever met in my entire life um and so i was like let's just pitch it at fox like just as a lark like yeah they they won't want it like it's too (laughs) out there it's too weird like they won't want it um and so we were like yeah okay we'll throw fox on there let's what's one more meeting um and we had this meeting with fox and they were amazing and they were the first per- person, the first network to say like, we'd like to develop the show with you, um, you know, do it with us. Um, and so that's sort of, and that's sort of where we're at now. I ha- I don't know <laughs> at time of time of recording. I still do not know, <laughs> you know, we're still in the development phase of things, you know, there's right. no premiere date. I don't know if it will happen still. And, you know, hope, uh, hopefully it does. I'm, I, I'm, you know, would be very sad if the show you know sort of languishes in, in development for years and years and years especially right. since i will not be able to play 22 forever um <laughs> which is the age of my character in the show but um but yeah that's that's sort of that story and that journey i appreciate you walking me through because I, I i haven't talked to anybody uh, talked to anybody about the specifics of yeah. that kind of thing and uh, i'm always fascinated by how it works uh, as I'm making my own badges and paying for hotel rooms, it's really <laughs> nice to hear how a successful version of things can go. Um, and uh, I look, I hope that it works. Yeah, and if it doesn't, too. you've gained a valuable experience. But yes. uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm certainly. And that's, and that's the other thing that I think about a lot is that, like, if this doesn't happen, I don't know. Like, nobody gets their first show on air. You know, it's just like it's it's very rare that that happens, especially for someone who is a nobody i mean <laughs> that, well that it's it's yeah. true though i mean a relative nobody if you look at the television that's being made on cable or anywhere it is always like from the executive pro- or f- you know from the mind of you know and it's like right. if it doesn't have a major star or a major sort of creative name attached to it you know if david lynch isn't you know directing the pilot episode it's rarely getting made these it's days. very difficult so, to get anything on yeah, television. Yeah, you kind of have to be famous before you can get a television show made, and that's like it's a, it's a total like how to, like a weird loop where you're like, I must be famous to create a television show, but I won't be famous until I have a television show. And it's like, how does any of this happen? <laughs> it's all a mystery to me. Yes, well, uh, uh, but I think it could it could happen. I've got my fingers crossed. Yeah, that's for sure. yeah. Uh, and uh, you're going to explore uh, some of the things uh, with the because just to connect a dot here, uh, you after you grew up there in Chicago, I was yeah right outside of Chicago. outside of Chicago. Then you did some theater mm-hmm. and uh, wrote some plays, as you said, and mm-hmm. then made a switch into comedy yeah. and moved to New York. Mm-hmm. Just to draw that line uh, clearly, but part of the upbringing, of course, you were brought up in a very conservative yeah. uh, environment. You go to a church, a kind of a Bible school, mm-hmm. like uh, the lady, the education secretary, yes. wants to push on everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, did you did you like church? Um, I did like church. I liked church a lot, actually, growing up when I was especially young, especially when I was still being homeschooled. Um, like I was always like a very social kid and, and, you know, I wanted, uh, to be around people and church was like the only place that my parents were sort of like an approved place to be and be around kids my own age. And so, um, yeah, I loved it. Um, I loved, you know, the community of it. I loved, um, you know, just being involved and being around other kids and, and the, you know, it felt like family for a long, long time. Um, I really enjoyed that. I couldn't hack it. I think I'd like it more now. Well, honestly. I I definitely uh, didn't end up being able to hack it either. So. <laughs> right. 
Well, sometimes I think yeah, it would be okay to go back. And yeah, I mean, see if there's, there's definitely worth it, but different kinds of churches. It, you know, I, I think I talked about this maybe the last time I was on, but my best friend is a pastor, I and mean, we've been best friends for like 12 years, and she's a pastor in Seattle, but she's a very different kind of pastor. You know, like yeah. she's um, very, you know, she's out there at every march, and we had this great conversation the other day where she was like, you know, I it's very important to me that that people see me protesting in my collar, in her, her mm. reverence collar. She's like, Cause the clergy should be the people leading this, and it's not. And it's sad that a lot of churches are probably taking a very, like, we're not going to be political, we're just taking a very neutral stance. And she's like, That's, that wasn't Jesus' back, you know? Like, he was very into going into the temple and throwing the tables over, so... Uh, which doesn't feel very neutral to me. No, and and also, you know, tolerant yeah. of uh, different opinions and things and not this other uh, deal. Uh, <laughs> but it was a nice church that you went to? Uh, yeah, it was nice until, you know, so I didn't even get kicked out of the church when I was when I came out as gay. It was like a pre... Uh, I was kicked out when I someone via social media found out I was hanging out with someone who was gay and brought that to the attention of mm. the church leaders. And they were like, you can't come back until you stop hanging out with this person. And even then I was like, this is bullshit. And I was like, okay, goodbye. Um, and I never went back. And it's funny. And like, it's only now that I'm starting to realize like, Oh, like I'm sure it, I'm sure it was partially like, we don't want you hanging out with this gay person, but it was also like, Oh, you're gay. Like we know you're gay, <laughs> um, and we're worried that if you hang out with a gay person, it will all sort of like come to fruition. Right. Um, One of you is fine. Yeah. Two exactly. of you, we Two got a is, problem. Is bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that was. So yeah, it didn't turn out to be uh, quite the place that I I wished it would have been, but I think it was a, a real blessing that I stopped going when I did. Yeah. Because um, it probably would have stunted my you know sort of emotional development for you know. God knows how long. Well, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah I didn't uh, go that often, but I went as and everything was old. But of course, I'm old. <laughs> but going to those things uh, then, it seemed like it was still attached, still emerging out of the '50s and '60s, and everything was, you know, a lot of the churches, I guess, were built uh, built then, or the kind of weird modern thing and old carpet and smell like soup and <laughs> all the all the old fellows creaking around in their robes. But um, anyway, you have old teachers growing up. You go to schools now. Everybody's like twenty years old. The yeah, teachers. I had a I had a couple of old teachers. I think I had two teachers that were just like on the cusp of retirement, and they were both like really great teachers. Actually, I was thinking you you have some of the teachers when I was in school back in the eighties, the nineteen eighties. Uh, some of those teachers, uh, you know, if they're in their fifties and sixties, that means they were born in the thirties. Oh my God! What is that? <laughs> That's you can't think about time too much. Nope. Nope. It seems like uh, they, they were strict, some of them. Anyhow, uh, well, yes, I've moved on, and now I'm buying crystals from a lady in Berkeley. <laughs> so <laughs> here we do. Here we go. You have a spiritual practice now, though? Um, No. I would say I am like pretty staunchly agnostic, and I go to yoga quite frequently. Well, listen, <laughs> that's, that's good. Of, that's sort of it. That's good. And um, uh, who, who is uh, – I have a sense of this. Uh, but uh, who do you feel like you identify with in your comedy peer group? Uh, you have kind of a clash there, yeah. isn't there? Everybody kind of rises at that. Yeah. At um, um, who's I, always on the bill with you? Because I see your name all over the place. Yeah. I feel like if you and Janelle James aren't on the same show, <laughs> it's not a show. Yeah, Janelle and I, I you know, it's funny. Um, there are like two schools of thought about this, and your class is either like the people you started with or sort of the people you – um, or from, I guess, in hubs like New York or L.A., it is, for me, I feel more connected to the people who moved here at the same time that I did and, uh -huh. and sort of hit that reset button with me at the same time. Um, so it is like people like me, Marsha Belsky, um, Courtney McGinnis, Julio Torres is yeah. um, uh, someone that I consider like sort of in my class, um, uh, Sam Taggart, um, Patrick Schroeder, like people of that ilk who um, are all people that I, I feel, I still feel like pretty close to yeah. um, as comedians. And you just did a broad gay thing and broad gay. Oh, broad gay is amazing. It's I my had Bowen in thing. here not long ago. Oh, Bowen is, I mean, Bowen is like truly one of my best friends. And like we have, it, it, it sh it's, it's a fraught sort of thing because I remember, um, Bowen Yang here, is who we're talking Bowen about. Bowen Yang. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, and we're both gay Asian comedians. And so, you know, there aren't a lot of us. There are more than you'd think, but there aren't <laughs> a lot of us. And um, in New York. And it was funny when I moved here, like three or four months into being here, um, I ran into this guy and he's a, he's a comedian in, in here in New York. And I knew him from Chicago. And we were on the train and he was like, oh, you know who you have to meet? You have to meet Bowen Yang. You guys are going to get along so well. And I was like, okay, why? And he was like, well, you're both gay and Asian. And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> right. And then he like Facebook messaged us, like he introduced us via Facebook Messenger. And he was like, Bowen, meet Joel. Joel, meet Bowen. You're both gay and Asian. You're going to be best friends. And and literally for like nine months, we were like, we don't want to, I don't want to be friends with this person. <laughs> like, we were like, and I think it was just because of the way we were introduced. We we're like, yes. fuck that. Like, not a great we're way. not going to be yeah. friends. And then we finally did meet and it was just like a fast friendship. And now he's one of my dearest friends. And it's frustrating because I think several times a week, maybe once or twice a week, several times a month. Um, so we will get mistaken for each other <laughs> constantly. And I mean, you've seen Bowen and you see me now. Like, we look completely different. Yeah, you're not. Like, not race, race aside, I mean, we could not look any different. Like, I, uh, I'm slightly taller. Like, we have different body types. Our face shape is different. He wears glasses. I don't wear glasses. Like, totally different. It is truly <laughs> insane to me that constantly people, like, uh, twice at a birth, I went to a birthday party the other night, and two people, like, one guy who I'd met three different times um, was hugging me goodbye, and he was like, uh, he was like, oh, it's it good to meet you and I was like oh no, no no we've met before like a couple times and he was like oh that's right Bowen and I was like no not <laughs> Bowen and like another person was like oh you were uh at this sh uh, uh, at this um house with us when we were on vacation and I was like nope uh, once again also <laughs> Bowen um it is wild oh, to me oh, I don't understand how, it, how people get mixed up I, I had a friend who very prominent like um like smart um woman of color comedian who <laughs> upon meeting Bowen was like, Oh no, we've met, we were on that shoot together. And he was like, no, that wasn't me. And then he talked to me and I was like, that was me. <laughs> and then this is like a woman who's like keyed into like these sorts of issues. And it was just like, so, and I have also known her for years too. We'd been on shows, many multiple shows. It's just oh. wild to me. Um, but yeah, Bowen is great. Um, check him out. <laughs> well, I get that with Elvis Costello. People are always giving me a little look on the subway, and I have to say, I'm not him. No, Don't worry, not I'm not me, him. Not but Broadgate, you do with Bowen and a bunch yes, of other people. Uh, Broadgate is Bowen's and Sam Taggart's love child. Like and they, you, you mount what? What, what happens in um, that? So it is a fully realized production of a, an entire episode of a Sex in the City episode right, right. put on by gay men. Right. And a lot of people get confused and they're like, oh, do you just read the script? And it's like, no, we're off book. It's fully, fully staged. It. it is props. You know, the whole the whole deal, we're, we're really going for it. And it is so funny. I mean, we initially did it at a, a, a real off-Broadway theater. Um, and they hated us, so we had to leave, and we had to move it to a different sort of thing. But it is truly, it's it brings me so much joy. I got to get to the next one. It. it looks it looks like a lot of fun. So, um, well, uh, 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 Joel, uh, yeah. <laughs> you're you're going to uh, have some shows coming up. Yes. Uh, when does this come out? Uh, it'll be out uh, tomorrow or so. Okay. Well, I guess if you're listening to this tonight, I yeah. have a sh I'm hosting. I'm guest hosting Showgasm at Ars Nova. That's um, exciting. Which is very cool. And then I have... Done one of those. Um, yes. Because yeah. uh, John is what, moving? John's just too big. He's, he's too he's big. He's too big. He can't do he's it He's not anymore. a new he's, face. He's, yeah, he's not a new face. He's he's much too big. You know, he's got his great Vimeo thing. He's got Search Party at TBS. He's just, he's too big. He's What are you going to do with this he's, guy? He's gigantic. Um, So they're, they're just sort of rotating through some guest hosts and... Um, I'm following in the footsteps of Anna Fabrega, which is a big shoes to Mighty fill. shoes. Yeah, she's got massive feet for yes, a woman. She's uh, uh, <laughs> well known for <laughs> large footprint. Size 12, men's. <laughs> yeah. um, small frame, but big feet. Big, huge. Uh, <laughs> no, so that is, uh, uh, I guess, tonight uh, at, uh, at 7.30. And then on um, February 10th at 7.30 at Videology in Williamsburg, Anna Dresden and I have a show that we've been doing for a couple of years now called Fuck That Movie, Anna Dresden of, of SNL fame now. Yes. Um, famously wrote Kate McKinnon's favorite sketch she's ever been in. Um, yeah. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that or allowed to share that story, sure. but now your listeners know that it's because of Anna. 
Um, yeah, and that that's a show where we bring on comedians. Which one was it? Um, you say which sketch not, it was? I, I feel like I've already said okay, too much. Okay, I don't wanna, okay. Well, I don't want to say People too much. can look through it yeah. and uh, enjoy you, the, it. Yeah, you can sleep. The celebrity it. one. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we bring on that, fuck that movie, we bring on comedians to talk about well-regarded movies that everyone else likes, but they hate. Oh, um, so, I like that idea. Yeah, we've had I got a, a lot bunch of, of them. Ones. Yeah, it's, it, it really does bring out. Perfect um, Storm. That's a good one. Uh, we haven't had anybody do that. Uh, the problem is, is we've been doing the show for t- uh, on a, almost a monthly basis now, um, for two years, and so we're starting to run out of of yeah. movies because people always come and they're like, "I want to do Crash," and we're like, "We're so sorry." So English <laughs> like, patient. Every, no, that's a good, that's another one somebody yeah. hasn't done. No, it's great. I Don't mean, some of my it. favorites have been the ones that are not like Oscar baity, but are like truly because a lot of the movies people bring in are like movies like Crash or. Um, something like that, or or like a, a Nancy Myers movie, or something where it's like, yes, like the Academy loved it, but like no one else, you know, liked it. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's it's had a backlash. Like I'm sure eventually, people, someone will do La La Land, and it's like, uh, it, like I, <laughs> I liked La La Land. I'm not gonna defend it. I I get why people don't like it. Um, but it's so funny to me when people are like, um. <laughs> I'm so brave on, on social media to be like, La La Land was bad. Come at me. I dare you. And it's like, no one's going to come at you because in our bubble, everyone hated La La Land. Like, it's not a brave thing to say that La La Land was bad. Everyone thinks so. Right. Um, so it's like movies like that are like less fun. But my favorites have been like Anna Fabrega did Toy Story, which really upset people. Um my friend Pat Regan did Beauty and the Beast, which was maybe my all-time favorite one yeah. that's ever been done on the show. But people were like legitimately very upset because they're like, "How could you not like Beauty and the Beast? <laughs> like it's a it's the first animated film to get nominated for Best Picture. It's an amazing movie." Um, and of course, I have trash taste. I just said I liked La La Land, so right. I tend to be the, the voice of like, "But hey, I liked The Blind Side." You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> But well, yeah, that's at Videology in Williamsburg on February 10th at 7.30. Please come. Great. Well, we'll look for that. And uh, Joel Kim Booster, it's always a pleasure to Thank see you. Thank you so you. much, Dan. Thanks for spending a little time in the Deep Night yeah. Studios with me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you again. Continued success. Thank you so much. Oh, wasn't that something? Lots of good advice and experiences being shared with Joel I'm terribly fond of him, and we do get into politics, don't we? Sometimes I'd rather not think about what's going on, but it's activated the creative community and indeed many progressive uh, people around the world. I tell you, we're in for some dark times. You agree with this fellow or not, it's not going to be an easy four years. And while I'm often consumed with fear or rage or sheer bafflement at what transpires, I hope you know that I am with you and I am doing what I can do uh, to resist... Last episode, I was quite high on Uber, but then they went and did evil stuff. So just know that now, despite my misgivings about pink mustaches, I've gone over to the other side and deleted my account. We'll see how that goes. Officially out of my comfort zone now. I wish you safety and good health. Remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night is written and performed by James Bewley with production assistance from Harvest Works in New York City. Music throughout each episode is provided by the amazing talents on the artistic roster of Howler Hills Farm in the great state of Ohio. Deep Night theme by Zach Gabbard, season 9 podcast icon and logo designed by Samantha Mash. Download episodes directly through daleradio.com or subscribe and review the show on iTunes. Also available on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Follow Dale on Twitter at Dale Radio or Instagram at Dale Seaver for behind-the-scenes peeks into the production of the show and the life of Dale Seaver. Thank you to all the subscribers and supporters of this program, and thanks to you for listening. <laughs>